0: Well, good morning. Good to see you on this third Sunday of Lent. The warnings are plentiful and blunt on this third Sunday. In this week's Gospel text, some of those listening to Jesus ask Him to comment on some current events. And the unexpected and untimely deaths of both the Galileans slaughtered by Pilate and of those crushed by the Tower of Siloam had been interpreted by the listeners as a well-deserved divine judgment. So they serve up a plate of self-righteous anger for Jesus, and they tell Jesus in verse 1 that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple, and wanted to know what Jesus thought about it. Now make no mistake, this would have been something to be angry about. It was bad enough to be occupied by Pilate and his Roman followers when they did not commit murder. But here was an occasion when Pilate sent soldiers into the sacred temple and had the Galilean country people cut down like lambs to the slaughter. No, not just simply lambs to the slaughter, but alongside sacrificial uh, slaughtered lambs so that the blood of holy sacrifices and regular country people ran together as one. What could possibly be more violent and repulsive, more deserving of condemnation? I think the Galileans expected Jesus to hear this story and to get all fired up about it. However, Jesus had none of it. He does not focus on Pilate or the Romans and their brutality. He focuses Uh, refuses to make a straight-line assessment of the Galilean tragedy. So we are all quick to blame. Blame is simply the discharging of pain and discomfort. We blame when we are uncomfortable, and we blame when we are experiencing pain. When we are vulnerable, angry, hurt, in shame, and grieving. I would encourage you to please take note of this. There is nothing productive to this blame-pointing-the-fingers game that we play. Nothing productive. So here we are, right in the center of this gospel. Jesus has discovered the mask that we use to cover up the intense edge of our vulnerability. That Jesus has uncovered our fruitless blaming, our identity as interrogators of suffering, our search to blame someone, to blame something. It is what we do to discharge the utter pain and discomfort that comes with admitting that we are vulnerable and hurting and at the end of ourselves, out of control. Suffering happens. Sometimes it happens to us and it happens in our communities. It just might be the case that the bullet was not intended for that individual. She did not deserve it. The storm did not rage because of us. The fire is burning because when lightning strikes a dry tree, it will burn. And to admit this is to admit that such devastating events are outside of our control, which is too much for us. And so we demand names. Whose sin caused this to happen? This would not have taken place if so-and-so did not do that, or if they would not have said that. So look at how God handles the fruitless Israelites. God does not interrogate them when they are slaves. He comes to them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He parts the sea before them and feeds them with bread from heaven and water from the rock. And when they have withered and appear lifeless in exile, God invites them to come to the waters to freely partake of bread and wine. And this is the way that God tends the fruitless trees. In our reading from our Old Testament uh, this morning in Exodus, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in, in Egypt. I have heard them crying out, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. God does not wait until Israel is fruitful. God does not wait until Israel is all put together, nice and tidy and perfect. He hears their cries while they are being abused and held as slaves. So what would we have done had it been us? Had we come to that fig tree that we had planted and found yet again no sign of fruit in it, nothing to justify the time and expense that has been spent on its cultivation? Would we have waited another year, given it one more chance to blossom despite our disappointment? Or would we have abandoned it as a bad job, ordered it to be dug up to make room for a better alternative, one more likely to reward our investment? Remember, this wasn't a first-year planting. It should have been yielding a plentiful harvest years back, and the likelihood is that no fruit one year means that there will be no fruit the next year. What reason to expect anything to change? Only, of course, it wasn't... Finally, a fig tree that Jesus was talking about here, it was you and me, people like us, and the harvest that we produced in our lives, or at least the harvest we are meant to produce. Sadly, it is all too often a different story, despite the care and attention that God has lavished on us. The patient preparation and the dedicated nurture, there is little to show for it. And yet, like the gardener in the parable, Jesus continually pleads our calls. One more year, he begs. One last opportunity for us to make amends. Justice tempered by mercy. Righteousness and justice by grace. So is the next chance our last one? Is that what Jesus was saying to his listeners? These words of his intended as stern final warnings? We might have thought so. And yes, I suppose the day may come when God's patience will finally be exhausted and the axe will fall. Yet don't despair, for while we shouldn't take it for granted, the wonderful thing is this, that year after year, Jesus goes on asking that we be given one more chance. And year after year, God continues to grant that request. Grace and mercy. Instead, Jesus declares the need for repentance. The death of those Galileans did not single them out as the ones um, who were specifically evil. Their death only served as a stark example of the need for all people to repent of their sins and realign their lives in right relationship with Almighty God. These Galileans that you say suffered at Pilate's hands, verse 2 says, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people of Galilee? What about those from whom among us who were innocently building a tower at Siloam and died when it crashed? Were they any worse than others who were not crushed? Is that why they suffered? What about the innocent babies and children, adults, Elderly people and sick who have died or lost everything in earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and fires. Are they any worse than us? Unfortunately, in the 21st century, we are all too familiar with the tragic devastation of toppling towers. All people are in a broken relationship with God and they stand at level ground at the foot of the cross. It is from this commonplace of brokenness that all need to offer repentance and seek out God's mercy. It reminds me of John chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. Rabbi, his disciples, asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. And our story in Luke this morning, Jesus responds to these, to these questions from the Galileans clearly without any chance of misunderstanding. Jesus told them in verse 3, No, these Galileans did not die because they were worse sinners. Verse 3 says, Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. The reality is this, as Romans three twenty three tells us, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So Jesus does not in any way minimize, overlook, or justify what happened. However, he will not have himself or his fellow fellow Galileans defined by their enemies. And this is something, please pay attention. In other words, he will not give Pilate, the Romans, or any other person power to control their heart and life. Jesus refuses to eat from the plate of self-righteous anger. What about us? Do we give others power to define us? Do we give others the power to control our heart and life? Whenever we have self-righteousness and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness or even allow other people's opinion to affect or define us, then we are giving them power to control us. Jesus and the Gospel of Luke, and Luke often confronts those who have self-righteousness and look down on other people. And when it comes to judging sin, it is best to look for the log in our own eye before searching for the speck in our neighbors or even our enemies. We live in a day not so different than the ones in Galilee when everyone wants to blame everyone else for the problems that are going on in our world. Christians blame the Muslims and Muslims the Christians. Republicans blame the Democrats and Democrats the Republicans. I won't even get into CNN and Fox News. Let's just leave that aside. Fundamentalists blame Hollywood and the liberals and the ACLU and the liberals blame the fundamentalists. Catholics blame the Protestants and Protestants blame the Catholics. The contemporary churches blame the traditional ones and vice versa. Humans blame the dog when we all know that it was the cat's fault. And this unfortunate blame game goes on and on and on. This is the world we live in. This is what is going on in our hearts. And in the midst of this, Jesus says, hold on a minute. Think about a fig tree. One that has not produced fruit for a long time. And the, the farm owner states, cut that tree down. But we know in our gospel text this morning, he says, the, vine keep, the vine vineyard keeper replies, give it another chance, sir give me one year working with it. I'll cultivate the soil and I'll keep on some manure to fertilize it. If it surprises us and bears fruit next year, that will be great. But if it doesn't, we will cut it down. He basically says, ask yourself if you are like that fig tree, are you bearing fruit or are you just taking up space? There is an undeniable urgency in this parable for those of us who have ears to hear. We are being invited to repent, to turn from our sin, to change our mind, our heart, our actions, our attitudes, and our lifestyle so that we can be faithful to God's kingdom life found and embodied in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is the hope that's offered in Jesus' parable of the fig tree. Verses 3 and 5 says, and you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. So we cannot cannot ignore this very clear language of perish. If we do not repent of our sins and turn to God, we will perish. We will experience death. Now, Jesus' intent in telling this story is to bring home the reality of the nature of God. I encourage us to look at Ezekiel chapter 18 and Ezekiel chapter 33, and we will see that God takes no pleasure in the death of sinful people. He does not want us to die. He wants us to turn to Him and live. So any image that we have... Of an Old Testament God who is wrathful and ready to pounce on someone who does something wrong is very skewed. God wants us to live. God wants us to follow him. God wants us to turn to him, follow in his ways. But please hear this. God's judgment is tempered by his mercy, grace, compassion, and love. James chapter 2, verse 13 makes this very clear that mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, mercy always wins against judgment. God gives time for people to repent. He is a long-suffering God. He's very patient. How about us? Are we gracious and merciful to others as God is to us? Or do we blame and demand instant perfection? Or if we do not get instant perfection from others, we say, off with the head. God invites and he urges and he pleads with us to change our mind, heart, and activity. But if we don't, we will perish. Perish here might include, but is so much more than physical death and hell in the afterlife. To perish and experience death can happen right here on earth as well. It is pure hell in this life as well as the life to come to be separated from God, to be separated from his very presence. It's very important to know that in this parable, it is the gardener who allows for the possibility of fruitfulness. First, by his constant care, digging around the roots and applying manure. A little manure in life makes us strong and beautiful. Has anyone else this morning experienced a little manure in life? How about this last month? How about this last week? Well, for that matter, how about this last weekend? Because God never wastes hurt. He will use it to bring forth new life if we only allow Him. Don't bite the manure. Welcome it. The season of Lent is about repentance. Repentance is a turning away. It is a change of direction, mind, heart, and behavior. Don't blame or shame or be so quick to uproot the fruitless tree. Surrender it. Surrender us. Surrender them. Let God have his way of nurturing and cultivating. Be moldable, pliable, formable, shapeable in the hands of a loving, caring, merciful God who desires mercy instead of judgment. And shouldn't we be quick to apply this same mercy and grace to others, When the gardener in the gospel passage volunteers not to give up on the slow-to-fruit fig tree, he commits himself to a year of giving it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. My dear friends, I am absolutely amazed, blown away, yet again, to the never-giving-up, long-suffering, and patient God, who takes no pleasure in the death of people but invites us again, To change our direction and attitude and live. To turn back to him and bear much fruit. This is the season of Lent. That's what we're being asked to do in our text this morning. Yes, there is urgency in this text. God is speaking. He's here right now, tugging at our heart, inviting us to do just that. Repent, turn back to him and live so that we can bear fruit. Fulfill his mission to make disciples who make disciples to live in love like Jesus Christ. God reminds us in our Old Testament passage that He hears our cries and He knows the bondage that we're experiencing. And He promises that He will come and deliver us. We're reminded in our psalm that He forgives and heals, redeems, satisfies, works righteousness and justice, acts for His people, is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, does not repay us for our sins like we deserve, and steadfastly loves us our epistle this morning reminds us that any temptation that we face in life is nothing new god is faithful and he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle and he will always provide the way of an escape if we will just trust him and lean on him when the hopeless becomes the hope filled it is a moment of pure grace Because the ultimate nightmare has been transformed into a dream come true. If we have lost hope, I encourage all of us not to give up. Be honest with where we are in life and turn to him for restoration and reconciliation. Hope can be restored if we eat this plate of food that we've been served this morning. Not a plate of food of self-righteousness, but of humility and vulnerability. This is what God accomplished when the crucifixion became the way of resurrection. Judgment and death have been replaced by mercy, love, grace, redemption, and new life. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we know the fruits that you want to see in our lives. Love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, among others. We know we ought to show these, and we know also how rarely we do. How all too often the fruits are anything but. Instead of living by the power of your Holy Spirit, we live by the flesh, the ways of the world, and the results are plain for all to see. Forgive us, Lord, by your grace. Grant us another chance to start again. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Nurture our faith so that the time will come when our lives will bear much fruit. Bear a rich harvest to the glory of your holy and wonderful name. And Lord, may the same grace and mercy that we have experienced be the same grace and mercy that we offer to others. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.